what are we calling this? Like wine. Uh, like what is my title that you <laughs> yes. use for the intro? Yes. Um, ah, I would say a wine enthusiast. Wine enthusiast. With certifications. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that's the best descriptor of me yeah. at this moment. Welcome to another episode of I'd Rather Be a podcast that explores the hobbies and passions that make life fuller and richer. I'm your host, Katya Rucker. And after some of the deliberation you just heard, I decided to call this episode, I'd rather be on a vineyard because our guest Morgan Joseph is in her element when she's getting to talk to the people who grew the grapes in the glass of wine she's drinking. Morgan is an extra special guest because hers was the very first interview I recorded for the I'd rather be podcast before the podcast even got its name. Morgan is both a close friend and former colleague of mine, and she and her husband Daniel live in Walla Walla, Washington. I would definitely say I live in wine country. I know most people are not familiar with Washington State as a wine mecca. I think most people are like, Seattle, rain, chilly, no sun. That's their vibe when they think about Washington State, but there's a whole other side of the state that is nothing like the west side. Um, on the other side of the mountains, I think that's where the majority of the growing regions in Washington State are. So I live in Walla Walla, which is its own American viticulture area or just growing region for grapes that's recognized by whatever governing body makes those designations. A lover of wine is called an enophile. And as an enophile, Morgan is going to use a few wine terms that we should define up front. So you'll know what she means when she uses them in context. Let's call these the three V's. First, viticulture, which Morgan just said in reference to winemaking in Washington. Viticulture is the practice of growing grapevines, so anyone who runs a vineyard is practicing viticulture. Second, varietal. The varietal is the specific kind of grape used in a bottle of wine, so a bit more specific than simply red wine or white wine. Examples of varietals are Chardonnay or Riesling in white wines, or Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot in red wines. And third, vintage. The vintage is the year the grapes were harvested for a specific bottle of wine. Even the same label can taste different from vintage to vintage because the weather patterns like the amount of rain or the temperature variation throughout a season will affect how the grapes taste. Morgan is also going to refer to growing regions, and these are just the specific places a bottle was produced, like Napa in California or Burgundy in France. So let's find out what made Morgan go from casual wine drinker which I mean is probably a hobby shared by many people, to full-blown viticulture aficionado. So my origin story with wine, I think there's there was like a a seed that was planted and it was not watered, but it's like one of those kind of your dormant seeds where like it got watered later. Um, but I first tried wine when I was 10 at my parents' dinner table. I know that is not a legal thing in the United States, but we were not living in the U.S. at the time and that was just kind of a thing. Um, my dad's like, oh, yeah, you want some wine with dinner? So I had a little, little tiny glass where I'd get two sips of wine. I felt very fancy. Um, I had no idea what I was drinking at the time, but it felt fun. Um, and it just made me feel like an adult, but I was freaking 10. Eventually, Morgan and her family moved back to the States. So her parents decided that meant no more wine with dinner. But then in Morgan's 20s, she and her husband moved to Southern California because he had taken a job in the wine industry. And while attending a wine harvest festival in Santa Barbara in 2018, Morgan got to see a newly released documentary called Psalm 3, 
And that's Som spelled S-O-M-M, not to be confused with Saw 3, the horror movie. Som is short for sommelier, and a sommelier is a wine expert who helps you pick a bottle of wine at a fancy restaurant. So the documentary Som 3 covers a highly controversial and groundbreaking event from the world of wine, and this was the Paris wine tasting of 1976. This was a blind wine tasting, comparing California and French wines, And because California winemaking was so new compared to the long and prestigious history of winemaking in France, no one expected the California wines to perform very well. There were 10 red wines and 10 white wines, five of each from each country, and the 11 judges, nine of whom were French, had to score the wines based on taste alone, since the label and everything about how and where each wine was made is hidden in a blind tasting. It made international headlines when, in both the red and white categories, a California bottle won. And while this was a massively important event that helped California become the wine mecca it's known as today, the documentary kind of comes full circle by pointing out the limitations of blind tastings, because so much of the experience of wine is learning the story of the region, the producer, and how the wine was made. And this last point really hit home for Morgan, especially when she had the chance to meet some of the grape growers in the Santa Barbara region. So after the festival, Morgan began to see wine in a completely different light. And we went and completely changed my understanding of wine from like a consumer packaged good to an entire expression of a region, like people, a place, an experience. Like we were there, we were going to different wineries, they were opening vintages from like 20, 30 years ago. It was like we were talking to winemakers. We were seeing where the grapes were grown and just realizing there's this whole community and experience around grape growing and the production of the wine that really doesn't always get to you as a consumer in the grocery store or like Total Wine or wherever you buy your things. And so I think that's really the spark that lit this big fire. I'm like, oh, I got to be trying some new wines. And so now every time I go somewhere, I'm like, is there wine here? Do they make wine? Could we go visit it? Um, and luckily my, my partner, my husband is really into that, but I'm sure sometimes my friends are like, mm, can we just not? When Morgan and I first met, we were working together at an ed tech startup and Morgan was the company's entire marketing team. It was her job to tell the world why our company existed. And she was really good at it. And as we spoke about wine, I was starting to connect the dots between this visionary storytelling side of her and the wine enthusiast she had become. So I asked if her interest in stories and in people and how things come to be was a part of the draw of wine for her. Honestly, I think for me, you really hit the nail on the head. Um, Recognizing that it wasn't just like a thing, a product that you buy off the shelf. And like some, like, let's be honest, some wines are mass produced to be basically like alcohol beverage that is similar to how people buy like a Coke or a Pepsi. That, that is 100% real. Um, But I think for me, what you were saying, the storytelling, understanding where things are from, you know, I'm very, like, I'm a very curious person and just recognizing that every single glass of wine has something I can tell you if you know how to read it, how to listen to it. I think that's very, very cool. And once you like nerd out, you'll, you'll really start to see like, oh, every region has an archetype. There's a way they do things that makes wine this way. Um, and it's really interesting and cool to see, to see that and to be able to recognize that the end product, if you read it correctly, if you, if you can taste it and you understand what to look for, it can tell you so much like who made it, where it's from, the climate, like how hot it was that year, maybe what, 
what the winemaker's influence on the grape was. So I think that is super true for me. But I would say for other people, it could be really different. Some people like making things and wine is not the most accessible thing to make, but it is something where, you know, there is a human influence. There is a craft. There is an artistry to it. Um, So I think people can be drawn to it in that way. Now, it's true that the majority of wine drinking happens in homes and restaurants, not on vineyards. And when we're faced with hundreds of choices of bottles in a wine store, there usually isn't much rhyme or reason to what we end up walking out with. Sometimes it's a bottle we've tried before, and other times something about the look of the label catches our eye. Here's how Morgan goes about choosing a new wine to try. I select wines based on what I anticipate or what I don't know. If I see a wine on the shelf, I'm like, I don't know what this is, or like, I've never heard of this region, or I don't know what, like, I don't know about this producer, and I'm not going to lie. I'm still very new to getting into produce, being at like the producer level. Like I know I've seen that. Ah, No, I only know certain producers. Um, But I, I I think it's really hard for me to just like pick a bottle off the shelf now and just like blindly be like, I'm going to just get this right quick. I, I really now I'm like, I want to make sure that I'm picking something that I'm either going to like or I'm going to learn from. So those are kind of the the two questions I ask myself when I'm looking at a wine store um, right now, because I think I still am like, I think I'll probably feel this way for the entirety of my life or for as long as I'm interested in wine. I, do, I feel like I'm a, a novice. I still don't know enough because I don't think there's ever enough you can learn about wine. There's like a thousand growing regions or grape varietal, it's grape varietals in Italy. So like, I'm definitely not going to know all of those. Um, but, but when I'm going to pick a wine for myself, I really am like, looking at the store I'm in, seeing what they tend to, like what this store is offering. If it's a big box store, then it's they're offering variety. And so it's like, oh, is there something here that I probably can't get at my home store? But if it's a more curated store, I'm really trying to lean in and ask the people who are at the store, which I know most people don't like asking about the store questions, but I love it. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the time, if you're at a smaller wine store, the person there is incredibly knowledgeable. They know why the product is there. Like they know why that wine was selected and they can tell you a little bit of something about it. Hmm. Um, they're probably not going to be a, uh, expert on all of the wines, depending on how many SKUs they have in the store. And by SKUs, I mean like how many labels or bottle, like labels they have available for purchase. But in those smaller stores, I'm really trying to lean into what's the expertise of the people here and what are they interested, interested in sharing with their community. So that's. That's kind of how I think about selecting wine for myself, which is way more thinking than I think most people do with selecting wine. I think most people go in the store like, is it red or is it white? Right. And that's probably like where they're at right now. And is it your preference to look for those more curated wine stores over the big box stores? I, I think big box stores are awesome, like a Total Wine or a BevMo if you're on the West Coast. I don't know what the, or Benny's, Benny's in the the Midwest. I think those are really great stores to just understand the breadth of wines that are available just to test and to try things because they have, they probably have something from everywhere. It may not be like the most niche producer or maybe like the highest expression of that, but they will definitely have something from almost every region. So you'll get to play and understand like what you like and what you don't like. And then once you kind of understand those things, the more local stores are really great for niching and digging into 
styles and varietals that you really like that you might not be able to get more than one or two bottles at the big box store. Something Morgan said a couple minutes ago really stuck out to me. And it was when she said that when she goes to the store to buy wine, she picks a bottle because she knows she's either going to like it or to learn from it. And it kind of took the pressure off the buying process in my mind. Like, there's no wrong answer when it comes to wine. Morgan shared a little about her process, and I was ready to hear how to put it into action. So I think my two tips. One, if you have Jason wine before and you like certain wines, do a little bit of research about like where it's from. Like you could just Google the name of the wine and see like what region it's from and what grapes. And and then I think you can go to the store and look for something that's that's similar. Like go to that region section. Because I know in uh well this is unhelpful because in big box stores, I know in Total Wine, they have regional, if it's like a non-domestic produced wine, they'll have it by region. But then if it's a domestic wine, so a wine that's made in the United States, they'll have it by grape varietal. So I'm like, helpful, somewhat unhelpful. So know the region and know what grape it, it's made of. And then, and then the second thing I would say is like, ask somebody. I feel like it can be really intimidating going into a wine store and asking questions. Especially because I think people assume the salespeople are there to like upsell you or sell you something that you don't really want. And I'm not going to lie, that is possible. But I would say if you can ask questions and you, you feel like this person is authentically trying to help you, trust that they are and, and, and try. And I think, you know, everyone isn't perfect. Everyone has not tried every single wine. I know I work at a wine store like a couple days a week. So I can keep learning. I know I'm probably given kind of like not the best recommendations at times. So have grace, ask questions and do a little bit of research before because every bottle, even if it does fit the profile that you're looking for, may not be something that you like, but then you'll know. Mm -hmm. And I think the interesting part of wine is understanding why you liked one versus the other. With this guidance from Morgan, I set out for Ball Square Fine Wines in Somerville, Massachusetts. This is a shop pretty close to the Tufts University campus, and it won Boston Magazine's Best Wine Shop in 2013. I figured it was the kind of place that would be intentional about the kinds of wines they choose to stock on their shelves, which should give me the chance to try something unique. One of my fallback wines is a $14 bottle called Liberty School, and I honestly forget how I discovered it, but I always come back to it instead of choosing a more expensive bottle that I'm not sure I'll like as much. Doing the research Morgan suggested, I learned that Liberty School is produced in the Paso Robles region in California, halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco, and the grape varietal is Cabernet Sauvignon. According to Morgan, there was a good chance I'd like any Cabernet from this region since it would probably taste similarly to Liberty School. And then I plan to ask for a recommendation of something new, something I definitely wouldn't have picked out on my own. And one of the wine store employees was very willing to help. If you're looking to try something that is not just like all of the California red wines that you've had so often, I think Italy is a good place to go. Cool. I prefer French wine typically myself because yeah. I mm -hmm. love them, but Italy's really hard to wrap your head around. There okay. are many, many grapes that only grow there. And I've I heard never there's like heard over a thousand. It's insane. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, It's way too much for any one person to take on. Um, but they're really cool. I like them. They're more food friendly. They're usually a little bit higher acid. Sometimes the acid is a little bit better for pairing with cuisine. Um, okay. This is something I tried recently that has 
Croatina okay. as the majority grape in it. I've never yeah. heard of that. So yeah. I trusted the wine manager and I took it home and I enjoyed it. And it was absolutely lovely. I didn't catch the name of this first wine he chose, but it was $44, which felt a little high to me. So I asked if he had anything in the 15 to $20 range. Do you want something that's approachable and kind of training wheels for a California mm, drinker? Or do you no, want to I, I think I want to jump in. Like, okay. I want to go, you know, total, total left field. So, this is actually significantly cheaper. He had selected a $13 bottle called Copertino Reserva, which I later learned was produced in the Puglia region of Italy. That's in the south. So, if you think of Italy as one big boot, Puglia is the heel. But what I like about this one that you don't get out of a lot of New World growers is that this is very wild. It is not a clean <laughs> wine. It does not just use Saccharomyces for fermentation. There's a lot of natural-born fermenters that are used to make this wine, so it smells and tastes of Britannomyces. Okay, trying to keep up with some of the advanced wine vocabulary here, Saccharomyces is basically brewer's yeast. It's a kind of fungi with various species that are used in making everything from bread to wine. Britannomyces is a different kind of yeast that is usually considered a wine spoiler, as in it contaminates and ruins wine that is aging in barrels, and it's hard to eradicate once it's present in a winery. But low levels of Britannomyces are supposedly not as offensive. They're even desirable, as is the case with this wine. And depending on the amount of Britannomyces in a bottle of wine, you might get a metallic or even mousy flavor, according to the Oxford Companion to Wine. A lot of times people associate that with like proper lambics or things like that. This is a wild fermentation, so uh -huh. it's very barnyardy. It's kind of funky. Um, some people say kind of horse blankety. All of that stuff aside, <laughs> very, very concentrated dark fruits, very firm tannic structure, so it's kind of drying on the sides of your mouth. And it's cool because it's a cooperative of different wine growers around the same region, hence oh, okay. the name, yeah. that all kind of put their grapes together. So a lot of times it's a blend of grapes and then just yeah. spontaneous fermentation and Resting. And spontaneous fermentation, is that just like it? Once you make the sugar available to the atmosphere, the things that are already living there um, that can respire sugars will start to go for it. Okay. So basically up to 350 different things that are single-celled fungi or bacteria or things like that are going to get to it and start to ferment those so sugars. Yeah. Exactly. That's where that wildness And is it from. what, like, is it middle of the state? or This is quite south of Italy. Okay. Um, not far from Naples, but not quite that far south. So I had secured a wine that had been described to me as wild, funky, and horse blankety. In the words of this wine enthusiast, the training wheels were coming off. The only thing left to do was try the two wines. The one that I was probably going to like, since it was the same grape varietal from the same region in California as Liberty School, was called Justin. The wild card was the $13 Copertino Reserva from the heel of Italy's boot. For advice on how best to try a wine for the first time, I turned back to Morgan. There are ways that people teach you to taste wine, but I think if you break down those steps into just something that's like more normal... I would say, look at the wine. What are you noticing about it? What is the color? Um, and I know if you were like, oh, it's red. But like, look a, a little bit past that and say, are the edges clear? Or is it like more of a reddish red or is a blue red? And, and I think the more wines you drink, the more you'll see that it's different. And I, so like, what does it look like? And then I think, what does it smell like? And this is where... It, it can be really hard to discern flavors, especially 
in certain wines that are really high alcohol, you're like, I smell nail polish because alcohol. Uh, so, so I do recognize that, but just like, see if you're, you're smelling anything. And then when you taste it, like, what do you notice? I think people are often looking for like fruit flavors to stand out to them. And I feel like the fruit flavors in a lot of wines are kind of the hardest things to learn. So I would actually think about how does it feel on your palate? Is there a lot of, is it like heavy? Is it, is it light on your palate? Like, does it coat your palate? Um, is, is it really acidic? Do you feel like you're getting a lot of saliva in your mouth afterwards? Or is it super tannic? Is, is your mind, your mouth really dry? Um, and does it taste a little bitter, uh, when you finish? Hmm. And, and then I think you can also think about like, is the fruit there tasting fresh? Like, oh, this is like a cherry that I got out of a tree or is it stewed or is it cooked? And then, and then I think from there, like comparing wines, the, for me, where I kind of started realizing, oh, wines have a different flavor profile is by tasting them next to each other. Cause I'm not going to lie. I don't have a photographic memory. I can't remember every single wine that I tasted and every single tasting note that existed there. But when I'm having two wines next to each other and they're of like different varietals or from different regions and I taste one and then I taste the other, I'm like, Oh, those are different. And then I try to figure out what is different about those to me. So yeah, I, I feel like it's a lot of, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. It just sounds very mindful. Like you are, you're yes. looking, you're smelling, you're like present with your senses. You can't be doing something else and tasting wine. You have to like really focus yeah. on it. And I realize that that's not necessarily the experience people want to have. Some people just want to sit down with their show and guzzle a whole bottle of Dino Crigio or just be at a cookout, drink the wine with the food. And that is totally okay. And, but I think sometimes when you drink the wine with the food and you're like, I don't like this, that's really when you should be paying attention because it's not necessarily that the wine is bad. It's just there's something about this grape variety or the way this grape was made that is not sitting, that is not something you like. And so I think that's what you should pay attention to more than the wines that you don't like than the ones that you do like. Because if you do like it, you're probably not going to be super conscious of what's happening. You're just going to be like, I like this. This is feeling very good to me. Um, versus the other ones when you don't like it, you're going to be like, why? I just, I thought this was a red wine. Why don't I like it? So yeah. I think those misses are more opportunities to learn kind of like in anything. Like when you make a mistake or you don't do something perfectly, there's an opportunity to learn from it more more so than if you did something really well and there's not a ton of feedback. When I got home from the wine store, I recruited my spouse, Beckett, to taste the two wines with me. As expected, the Justin bottle was pretty appealing to both of us, and I could taste the similarity to Liberty School, since it was from the same region and the same varietal of grape. For the Copertino, all I shared with Beckett was that it was from Italy and that I had specifically requested something new and different. Here's what Beckett had to say upon trying it. The smell is really weird. Like, it doesn't taste like it smells at all. How would you describe the smell? It's almost like... I mean, I don't like it. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. It almost has that, like... You know that smell when your electronics are working too hard? Like a blender or a mixer really? works too hard? Hmm. That's what it reminds me of. Interesting. But when you drink it, it's not bad, huh? No, yeah, the taste is good. So... Would drink again? 10 out of 10, would drink again. (laughs) 10 out of 10, wow. And just like that, 
we had discovered a wine that we probably never would have tried if I hadn't approached the wine store employee for a recommendation. Sure, it smelled like an overworked blender to Beckett, but now we know that that was just those Britannomyces at work. But that was probably the most fun wine buying experience I've had, and now I'm sold on Morgan's suggestion to ask questions and take the time to learn, given the amazing variety of wine that exists. Passions and hobbies are the things that add color and spark to our lives. And as Morgan's story taught me, we can discover new passions or areas of interest simply by opening ourselves up to new experiences. I'd like to thank Morgan for sharing her love of wine here on the I'd Rather Be podcast. If you're enjoying I'd Rather Be, the best way you can help the show grow is by sharing it with one or two friends, because personal recommendations are how most people discover new podcasts. And hitting that follow or subscribe button on Spotify or Apple Podcasts is also really, really helpful. Next week, we're diving into the ancient art of making pottery. It's a, a fight between you and the clay who's going to win. Mm. Who's going to, you know, tame the clay? Or is the clay going to tame you? Tune in on January 4th to listen to the episode. If you or someone you know has a hobby to share with the world, head to the Be a Guest form at idratherbepodcast.com. This podcast was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Katia Rucker. You can find show notes and the full transcript for this episode at idratherbepodcast.com. Have a great week, and thanks for listening. Thank you.